Welcome to Clock Out, the Vicarious Life Podcast. This is for the mavericks in the world who are on a mission to obtain freedom. What is freedom? We're about to find out. I'm your host, Tracy Miller, a free-spirited entrepreneur who has been chasing freedom her entire life. Beside me is my co-host, Jackie Asel, the anchor who keeps me grounded. Thanks for joining us. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Clock Out the Vicarious Life. Today, as always, I am super excited because today I get to interview Kimberly Spencer. She is a badass boss babe, and she is a creator of Crown Yourself. She's a best-selling author, a Pilates goddess, a marathon runner, a screenwriter. She was a contestant in Miss California and the winner of Miss Congeniality. This woman is on fire, and she's here to tell you that you can be too. Welcome so much, Kimberly. So much much. for having me. Thank you so much, and welcome. Thank you, and welcome so much. I like welcome so much. I might be, I might be borrowing that. (laughs) Let's run with it. (laughs) Oh my goodness, I am so excited to have you. I think my favorite part of that entire introduction is probably the diversity, because like. Not only are you like a, a an athlete, you're like, you know, the softer side with Pilates, you're this big screenwriter, and then you're also coaching people. I mean, it is such a diverse portfolio. Tell Thank me you. what makes up the bulk of your time? What is your main your main focus in life? Yeah. So my my career path has been very diverse. I haven't written a screenplay in 10 years, um, simply because I've been focusing on business building and working with my clients as a coach. So I started out in, uh, in Hollywood and in the entertainment industry, I was working for different production houses as like a PA an assistant, a script reader. And that's what got me started really studying people's stories. And when I got the opportunity to write a film, I jumped on it and it took four years to, from start to, from first draft to completed production. Um, and I co-wrote the film with my, with my director. It's called bros starring Danny Trejo. And most of my clients today, they don't know that version of me back from my early twenties. So they're like, wait, you wrote that. (laughs) And it's bros. B-R-O-S. Yeah. Not bros. Like the one that just came out, but it's about a young guy who gets caught up with like the hard, high flying, hard partying world of freestyle motocross. And I know, right. (laughs) I still have yet to sort of actually ride a motorcycle aside from being on the back of one. But uh, my, I, I wrote it with a lot of research, but the, the whole point is the, the story is one that everyone can identify with because there's only in, you learn in screenwriting, there's only about seven stories that humans relate to. And if really? you divert from that story, from any one of those there, mm-hmm. it, it does the movie bombs. And typically, so when you feel it, when you see a movie bomb, it's typically because they probably diverted or they took too long to get to these points um, in the story. Would would I be putting you, sorry, would I be putting you on the spot if I asked you what those seven were? What all seven are? Yeah. I mean, like maybe. It has been a hot minute since, um, to remember all of them. Okay. No problem. Think of the hero's journey, right? Mm -hmm. They all stem from that. So if you think of any movie, like from Star Wars to um, to the Avengers to like a, any sort of story, like specific story, there is the there's the hero's journey, 
which is the one that we all know that, you know, the person's going down their path, something hits about 20 minutes into the movie and they're confronted with like a realization, uh, their life crumbles. And then, and then they meet a mentor, a guide, a best friend, uh, a connection. They fly, they do something different. They do something drastic. Eat, pray, love. She goes to Rome, right? So it doesn't, it's not necessarily just action films or Marvel films. Um, Luke Skywalker meets Yoda. Mm. But the 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 story then progresses where they start to develop a new skill set. They have to become someone new. And then their moment of the all is losses moment happens about 30 minutes before the end, where like it looks like they're gonna lose. It looks like they're gonna lose the house, the farm, the the battle, yeah. the like, and then everything is resolved, or it's not. Like so <laughs> one path everyone's resolved, the other path everyone it, it's not. But that's a, a journey that everyone can relate to. Another sure. one, which is the one that I based uh the film that I co-wrote on, is the story that you know we all of belonging. It's like what is the difference between fitting in and belonging? And it's a young kid who wants to fit in with the cool crowd. He starts changing him so he not so cool, wants to fit in with the cool crowd, tries to adapt himself to be the cool crowd, gets caught up in some trouble with the cool crowd. And then realizes at the end that you kind of define what your own cool crowd is and you you become a different person. You don't have to be that person. You can be someone new. You can, you can adapt and change. Sure. And, and instead it's a concept of what's the difference between fitting in and belonging. Mean girls, same thing. Yeah. Um, so we all have these stories. We all relate to these stories. We all relate to the story of the funny best you know, the, the, that the best friend or that, that we're connected with in that group of girlfriends, that's why golden girls and sex in the city to, and friends mm-hmm. and will and grace, like those sort of friendship stories, we all relate to those. Sure. So we all have these stories. And what, so to sub, to support myself as a screenwriter and an actor in Hollywood, I started teaching Pilates and I started to notice that these stories that we're telling ourselves are not just stories in, in movies. They're stories that we're living every day. And I was listening to, as I was training my clients, I was listening to 10, pretty much because I was working about 10 hours a day, <laughs> training clients, I would, I would be listening to these stories of like loss and love and the perceptions of the stories, like even the minute stories that people were telling themselves, the stories about stress, the stories about how busy they were or not busy or how they weren't that stressed, or even if they should have been stressed, they weren't. So we all have these different stories. And I started to realize that the transformations that my clients were getting in Pilates was not so much according to like, whether they worked out five times a day or five times a week or five times a month. It it, it didn't matter whether they were technically fat or technically thin. Like what mattered was actually how they thought about their body. And that was actually what was starting to get the results. And so that was where I had my first kind of foray into how physiology plays such a pivotal and essential role into our mindsets. Because when I would be training a client, and this was how I got such amazing results from my clients and my clients just kept coming back for a decade, um, that when I would train them, when they would be like, oh, I don't think I can, we'd breathe. So you breathe and you get deeper into your body. And then I'd say, come on, we can, yeah, you can give me 10 more. And so I pushed them a little bit past their comfort zone enough past, but because they were building it in their physiology, it actually was training their subconscious mind because your subconscious mind runs your body. It was training their subconscious mind for 
for the ability to take on and expand their capacity, whether it's expanding their mental capacity of what they could handle like in their business or in their careers or expand their, their emotional capacity with how they could like the breathing would actually allow them to feel. I'd had, I'd had clients who would start to breathe and suddenly they burst into tears. Um, and they would just have suddenly like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize like I haven't been breathing. And suddenly like, cause our lungs really are a place that stores grief. Um, and so I started to see this tie in with the physiology and the mindset simultaneously, I got offered an opportunity to come on as a consultant for an uh, e-commerce startup that was selling a back stretching device. I saw the product. I said, I don't want to be like, I saw the value in it. I said, I don't just want to be a consultant. I want to be a partner. Came on as president of that organization for two years, took the product to market, got it featured in all the major magazines, um, got it featured up on the giant billboards in Times Square, pitched at the first round of Shark Tank auditions. And then my business partner said he wanted to buy me out. And I was devastated. I was so devastated. I felt like I had failed. I felt purposeless. And I ended up signing the buyout agreement three weeks before I got married, uh, went off on my honeymoon to Italy and my, and was on my honeymoon. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing when I get back. And my husband was like, well, what about teaching Pilates? And I said, yeah, but that doesn't really fulfill me. He's like, what about screenwriting? I said, yeah, that like 90% fulfilled me. And I said, you know, I love all these pieces. And I was thinking of all these pieces from entrepreneurship to the body, to the, to relationships. And I'd kind of mastered or, and figured some things out to a degree that I felt very comfortable, like looking at all of these aspects in a holistic way. And because as you saw from my diverse bio, it's very diverse. And I said, what if we just combine them? Like, what if I just made it a thing and just combine them all? And my husband's like, okay, what, what do you call it? And I probably had way too many espressos and I leaped off the couch and I said, crown yourself. And he's like, great. What do you do? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but uh, in that moment, I was so excited to get to work on becoming like the next Marie Forleo, the, you know, I'm going to give internet advice and I'm going to, I bought all the production equipment and all the lights and had the backdrops. I didn't produce a single piece of video or podcasting content for a year and a half Mm. because I was so scared of rejection. I was so scared that all the things that I was told during the buyout process um, by lawyers who don't say the nicest things when you're, they're not Mm. on your side. I was scared of all the things that I was an imposter, that I was a fraud, that I was um, too young, too immature, too inexperienced, all the things. And uh, so I I did what a lot of uh, new business owners do. And I dabbled and I was a dabbler and I would, you know, get on my computer and I'd open it up and I'd have all the tabs open and I'd always be busy. I'd always be working on it. Yeah. And my husband had even had a joke when we first got married. He's like, you can't sit through 15 minutes of a show without opening up your laptop. Cause I had to be busy because I felt so purposeless because I had no clarity. And I also had no courage. I didn't know what to do. And I didn't also have the guts to do the things that actually move the needle in business, which require you to put yourself out there sure. and leave the possibility of getting rejected. And I was so scared of that. So for a year and a half, I didn't make, I, well, I made a hundred dollars. Yes. <laughs> I didn't make no money. 
I made a hundred dollars in my business. Very good. And then I found out I was pregnant. And the person that I had become over that year and a half was very negative, was Mm -hmm. very much, um, I blamed everyone. I was complaining. I was constantly complaining about money. I was constantly scared of money. I was scared of rejection. I was scared of all the things. I was scared of putting myself out there. And I realized that it had made me a very fearful person. And I saw that and I was scared of getting results. I was scared of not getting results. And I was like, stop. And I knew that that person who I had become, I did not want to be the mother of my child. Mm. And that was the moment that changed everything. I immediately went out and got certified in NLP and timeline therapy and hypnosis because I knew it was a mindset piece. I knew I could fix it. Because prior to that, I'd I'd healed myself from bulimia with no psychological or medical intervention. And I did that through the mindset pieces that I work with my clients in their businesses now, because if if your your success will leave clues, when you look at what's made you successful before the mindset, how you thought about it, your belief systems, your value systems, it'll leave clues as to to what you need to prioritize. And so I did that. And then uh, it's been now seven years. Okay. So going back to that year and a half of doom and gloom was mm-hmm. when you were, you, you know, still in the buildup phase, did you know, ex- I mean, could you at least see a vision of exactly what you wanted to do? You just weren't ready to push it or was it still kind of unclear? I saw the vision of what I wanted to build. I didn't embody the leadership that was required to do so. So one of the things that was in my productive procrastination phase was getting a photo shoot and I hired a stylist. I hired a photographer. I got all of these friends together to come take pictures with crowns. I bought heaps of crowns. I have so many crowns (laughs) and, and it was great. And so many had such a great experience, but I had no follow-up sequence. I had no um, interest gauging sequence. Um, I had no products to sell because I didn't know, even know what I was selling. I was right. just doing a brand photo shoot. Cause that's what I saw all these influencers doing on Instagram. And I was like, I guess I need to do that. Um, and so I did it, but the person that I was embodying, like all of my clothes were borrowed. I was borrowed them from a stylist that were, you know, leather or pleather or, or is it called vegan leather? Um, <laughs> or as I say, polyester yes. <laughs> <laughs> and sparkles and everything. But I looked at my closet at home. And back then it was after two years of being a part of this e-commerce company. And my closet was bland. It sure. was professional and buttoned up because mm-hmm. I had to, I, I couldn't be all of me in that company. I, I could, I, because our values, my values of what I hold true for me and the values that I bring into a company and my business partner's values were very different. And so we had different perceptions. And because he was more of a majority stakeholder, I adapted my personality, my persona, how I went about business to that. And that's that's on me. But by the end of that, I looked at my closet and I was like, I don't have anything that I really want to be take pictures in. Like everything was right. kind of either old or just like old from like sparkles from years and years and years ago. Um, like Vegas sparkles back in those early 20 days, <laughs> or it was um, clothes that were very buttoned up, very professional, very like white house, black market. Not that there's a problem with that, but it's just not me. Just like not now me. this is like, this is me. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the, I got listeners. sparkles for the listeners and it's a sparkle rainbow shirt yeah. with jeans and hot pink heels. And I wear yes. that around my house and it it's, it's, 
and, but it's not just about what I was wearing. What was about was the, the persona of what I wanted to bring forth through my business of authenticity and ownership. I was faking it. I was completely faking it. I didn't believe in my, I didn't believe in myself enough to embody it. So I was, I believed in myself enough to make a fun photo shoot, but that's why for a year and a half, there was nothing. Okay. So then you roll it out, quote unquote, roll it out and, and your business is blossomed. It's crown yourself. And that is a coaching platform, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. And so then what, what specifically, I mean, where are your clients coming from? How did you get your first clients? What are you coaching on? Tell me all about it. So my first clients I actually got from like gig worker sites. So that it was actually how I was featured on uh, CNBC mm-hmm. or because the uh, it was from gig worker to full-time business owner and was the article because I started out on just like offering up my services. Now, once I was certified, I saw these other service providers and you go on gig work sites like Thumbtack or Upwork or things like that. And you're going to see coaching per hour for anywhere between... $25 to $250. And I figured I just charge the higher price and see if anyone right. pays. <laughs> and, and I also had a process though, that my, my mentor who trained me in NLP, he was like, if you don't charge minimum $250 per hour for this knowledge and skill set, which you've invested $5,000 into, um, you're doing yourself and everyone else a disservice. And because you're pricing yourself out of out of possibility for people. Cause there is something with aspirational pricing where people feel uh, like, because they're paying a higher price, like same with, same with how, why people buy Louis Vuitton bags. There, there's a belief that there's a status that's, or, or, or a level of results. And there's yeah. also a level of investment that's higher. So they're going to be more invested to produce results. I mean, I'm reading Alex Hermosi's hundred million dollar offers book. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And the, it, he he really brings to light this thing that I've seen time tested over seven years of coaching is that, you know, yes, not everybody can pay $2,000, $5,000, $100,000 for coaching. Yes, you are pricing yourself out of serving a lot of people and you're doing a disservice to everyone if you're not making the income that you need in order to sustain your lifestyle Right. So that you then can hire team to support you and then then grow the business to then be able to offer the lower tier products of like the $11 ebooks and those pieces because so that you people can have a lower buy in. So I worked my business backwards where I started at a higher price point and then started building more lower tier programs and and products and courses so I could serve more once I'd hit my, um, my freedom metric. So once I'd hit my monthly freedom metric, I knew that I, I was fine. I could support my family. I could support my family while we lived over in Australia during the pandemic. And I knew that then because I'd had my freedom metric hit with my private clients, I could support and bring on more team members and I could offer and create more products and programs for a lower price point. Gotcha. And, and what did you, so for this, I always wonder how, how coaches scale, how did you bring on team members? What roles did they serve in? So initially I just brought on a virtual assistant, my first virtual assistant. I mean, I've had a, I've cycled through many, first of all, never hire a team before you have clarity. Like if you don't like, cause I 
hired team initially because I hired a business coach back in 2017 um, in the first year of my, my actual money-making year for business. Mm -hmm. And the business coach was like, just hire a VA. And I was like, for what? And she's like, well, cause you know, you, you just get used to hiring. And so there I was like spending more money for a VA that I didn't know what to, I didn't know how to use them. I didn't know how to lead them. I didn't know how to manage them. I didn't know how to uh, communicate. Like how often are you supposed to communicate? Like I wasn't used to receiving support. And so it took time. There was like two years of trial and error of hiring um, yeah. and hiring. You also like when you hire, you want to hire somebody who's going to bring in income. That's how team right. becomes free. Yes. So you want to make sure that you're hiring people that are going to, whether they're sales or operations, they're in some way tied to the products and programs in serving the customers so that you grow your customers. Right. Like my big mistake was I was hiring for little piddly things. Like I want you to like make my website pretty. I want to do a brand redesign. I need a brand book. No one cares about your brand. No one cares. Like it, it sounds harsh. No one cares until you're large enough for people to care. What they care about is, can you provide a transformation for them? And if you can hire people that can either serve in that transformative process. So I, I, after trial and error, I started hiring a VA to support my clients with all of the Dropbox. So initially it was just like, when we have a coaching call, that call I would take and I would put it, upload it to my client's Dropboxes. So they have a record of all their calls. They can access those at any time. Um, they, and then I had an automation sequence where I would have their, um, their, uh, responses of like what they learned, what they took away from the coaching session. Like I had to, I created that to be automated, but once that like follow-up sequence of taking their calls, putting in the Dropbox, typing up a note, letting them know like your calls in your Dropbox, that started to take time. And I was like, this is a part of the process of delivery that I do need to do because my clients are enjoying it. Mm-hmm. I need to bring on to someone to support that piece. So I looked at the fraction of like all the things that I do well. And then I, because when you look at hiring, you want to hire for your, those things that are not in your zone of genius, yes. not the little piddly things. And the hardest part for most people to give up is hiring for those things that are in your zone of excellence. Those things that like you may get praise for those things that people are like, you do so well. So like, it was really hard, but I hired a copywriter this past year because like copy is like my jam. Like I love writing. I've been a screenwriter. I've written a best-selling book. Like I love writing, but there are some pieces of copy that do not require my full attention. And it's like the blurbs, SEO copy, those things. They attract more customers and more leads to us, but I don't need to be writing that copy. And that was, that was hard. But it, I, the time that I realized that, that, I, that, that I needed to outsource that was when my team was like, you're not getting the copy done for us. Like, yeah, you're a, holding like, us back. You're holding us back from fully fulfilling. And I was like, cannot do that. So being able to recognize like, where are you getting in your own way? And it's the biggest thing with business owners yeah. is being able to look at where, like with podcasters, I see it regularly is like, they are so good in the interview process. And then they're spending like 10 hours editing editing their yeah. episodes and I'm like just release it like yes just release it and and grow as you go but being able to hire for those little things that are you never want to h- hire something that you can just eliminate 
you, yeah. you never want to hire for something that you can automate. So like sending an automated email sequence after every one of my coaching calls with a little post coaching follow-up, same with our, um, our podcast, like when we go on a podcast, uh, or any of our clients from our communication Queens agency, go on a podcast, we make sure that the podcaster gets, a an email follow-up that is for a form that's just like, how did our clients do? How did yeah. I do on this podcast? You're going to be getting one. Yay. <laughs> so, yay. But those things, like if you have a process that you then ha have can automate, automate first before you delegate because delegates more expensive. Right. And, and ideally as a business owner, you also want to keep your costs relatively down so you can have profit because right. profit is the lifeblood of your business. So I initially started hiring VAs. Um, I've grown my team with entirely freelancers. I don't have any employees except for myself um, at this moment, though I am mulling over hiring my children for tax benefits. Oh, yes. Do it. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the uh, and so I, I, I've grown it based on this model uh, written by Salinas Mail called Exponential Organizations. So when you look at all the great companies, the Ubers, the Airbnbs, the these billion dollar companies that are like revolutionizing how we do life, mm -hmm. they're all based on a freelancer model. Mm -hmm. And if you can cultivate culture and values from freelancers, you don't have to pay someone a full-time salary until you need to, because just to let them do, if you don't know how, how to fill their time with enough mm -hmm. work. And fortunately, by having freelancers, I know that because I'm not their only client, that if I have a week or two that I'm like a little lower on what their projects are, I don't have to be compensating for that thing as a business owner. Yes. And it, 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 but you also have to make sure you're hiring based off of values yep. and you're hiring based off of a culture fit. So yes. it has like, people have to be fully in it to be, to be in it. If you're, if you're going to go with a freelancer model. Yeah. I 100% relate with that. My, I, I have a real estate brokerage. That's my yeah. business is all real estate, right? All the different capacities. And, uh, we just, we just did that. We stepped back from, uh, employees. I had two full-time employees. One is my full-time assistant, executive assistant, and the other is my marketing person. And when we downsized physically to accommodate for you know, why have an office? Why have overhead? It's just silly, right? And yeah. we eliminated both of them as employees because they really are freelancers. I mean, they work any hour of the day as necessary. They kind of come, they kind of go. And it, it, it made a better fit for them as individuals so that they could take on more business, do more, et cetera. And then it alleviated like $70,000 a year yeah. on my business. So 100% agree with what you're saying. I did it the opposite. I had employees and then switched it because I realized that later on, but yeah. hiring to culture, I cannot emphasize enough. That has been our number one um, success factor with my brokerage is that we, I, I feel like you can teach a monkey to sell real estate. You can teach anybody yeah. anything for the most part, but first and foremost, we, we hire to our core values, our mission statement, our vision statement, and then they have to fit our culture and they have to get vetted by everybody on the team to make sure that they're a good fit. And that's, yeah. it's been beautiful. So yeah, 100%. I love that. And I love that you're doing that. And I'm sure that's, that's why you've been able to grow and be successful because 
with, with the ability of people to go from brokerage to brokerage, like there's, there's that possibility, but like when you have that culture and that those values, that's the framework. As I like to say, that's like Mm -hmm. your, your castle walls is like, who gets to come into your Disneyland versus who's like, not, not a fit. Who's like, I don't, I don't want to ride the rides. Well, great. You're not like, you don't have to come into my castle. Great. That's right. (laughs) Very cool. So, okay. So then let's see, what else are we talking about here? Your coaching business. Okay. So then you hired team members, mm-hmm. but they're freelancing. And so from there, uh, is that, are they all still doing kind of the same thing or have you grown even more so with them? What's next? Yeah, we've, we've grown to definitely m- my VAs who I first hired back in like 2019, who have stuck with me. Um, mm-hmm. They've grown into like operations managers and our talent manager for our agency. Um, and then we just hired on more support for research. We're actually, uh, no longer hiring for research because of the development of AI. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, and, and what is, what are you guys researching for? Just new trends for coaching new. So researching trends, researching trends for, for coaching, for podcasting, for podcasters, um, for, uh, cause podcasting has been our, our best source of lead generation and client generation over the past two years. It, prior to that, it was live events and workshops, but I found that, that podcasting and masterclasses, that's just the, when you're teaching and people are tuning in to listen, um, it, it's, it really does. And, and you're choosing to add value. You're not just doing this, like, I'm so amazing. Like, let's just yes. to, like pull, yank each other's egos. Like, yeah, no thanks. Amen. Um, but when you can actually be of service and share tips of value, like that's, that can grow exponentially. And so we're using AI for brainstorming, for content generation ideas, um, for, uh, for some basic copywriting. I haven't been like that impressed with AI's copywriting because I'm like, this sounds like a bad telemarketing ad <laughs> and it needs some pizzazz. It needs some sparkle. Um, and I told my copywriter, like, don't worry, you're not gonna be out of a job because AI does not have a soul. And like, from, for me, like we need to write with soul, like sure, that's, that's our way that we communicate, but if we do use it for research, we use it. And then even that my, my VAs have to double check. Um, sure. cause sometimes they'll have, du- it'll have duplicates. I, I call AI they for some reason, uh, yeah. but <laughs> it's a, it, um, the the so we'll use it for research we'll use it for like researching trends um and just being able to see because it's it's got such a great memory it will use it for for content generation ideas of like brainstorming possibilities but not necessarily using what it says but we'll say okay this was a great idea like how can we improve on this how can we humanize it and um and also for any any sort of listing any like um, any listing that we need as far as like, give me a list of the top 50 podcasts in, who focus on grief um, sure. or things like that. And then that way we'll be able to have that curated very fast, faster than a researcher. The researcher, the only thing AI doesn't do is it doesn't curate like email lists. So it won't curate people that you reach out to. It won't give out that information because that's personal information. Right. So you may have to do a little digging on like a website to find that. And that's what our researchers will do is they'll take the AI, but they'll move it into um, doing the, the deeper research so that we can connect personally. Awesome. So do you have coaches that work underneath of you or are you still the, the only coach? My husband works with me. He does. He, he, he was a coach that. that literally works underneath me. 
So <laughs> yeah. So he comes in and he does the relationship coaching. He it, like his genius zone is relationships. He wrote a, a best-selling book called Food Game, A Man's Ultimate Recipe for Dating Success. Um, I wrote the foreword to it as proof <laughs> that he knows oh, what he's talking about. And good. he is phenomenal when it comes to relationships and just how to communicate inside of a relationship. And since everything in life is is relationship, and I really try, I've really focused with my clients on having a holistic um, style of coaching. So we'll be diving into their mindset as far as like what their business and leadership strategy, and then we'll pull from like, well, how are you applying that in your um, in your marriage or with your partner? And like one client who I was coaching. He was so on it with his team. Like he had his leadership dialed in, but man, there was no way that he had no influence skills whatsoever with his 15 year old son. His son was just rebelling his son, like just, and then, but meanwhile, he was telling me all about this team member who wasn't on board, who was struggling. And then he coached and I was like, well, let's look at that. <laughs> and then just apply that same strategy to your child change his life. So, I mean, the, the ability to, to see how success leaves clues just because it's in a different medium in a different form or a different area of your life doesn't mean you can't apply the same strategy. The common denominator in any form of success, whether it's relational or body or health or finances is you. Right. So if there's one area of your life that you're particularly successful in that you've like, I got this, I know how to do this. Like you're feeling it take like really dial in. What do I believe about myself when it comes to this? What do I think of, how do I, how do I approach a conversation when I'm, when I'm in this space? Sure. How do I, how am I, what do I believe? Like, do mm -hmm. I believe that I can do it? Like, or do, am I doubting myself? And then look at, and then I, I regularly have my, my clients do an exercise. Well, they're right. Take that one area that they're like thriving in. Mm -hmm. And even when they feel, even when they're in the midst of a struggle and they're like, I feel like I'm failing at like everything. I'm like, what's one thing? Like, can you successfully order a pizza? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. can you successfully like take, like take your grocery list and get that done, whether by Instacart or, or right. by, you know, you, you get somehow successfully get groceries to your house, whether right. it's by yourself or by hiring a shopper, whatever. Yeah. Um, We'll look at whatever, even if it's my new, like breakdown. What do you believe about that? Like, there's a certainty that you have to it. Typically there's a trust that when you put the order in, it's going to be delivered. And so often when in the areas of our life that feel out of alignment, we are missing that, that piece of trust and that area uh, that, that need for certainty. There's a certainty that we're missing about ourselves typically, because when we're venturing into anything new, we're not going to have full and complete certainty as to what we're creating. But where is the area of your life where you, obviously we weren't born with a certainty in that area. Sure. How could you apply? What did you learn to believe about yourself that you then can apply to this area that you're struggling with? So I did this with um, my bulimia and my body and mm -hmm. I battled bulimia for 10 years and conquered it with no psychological or medical intervention because I really looked at every single belief system. I looked at my relationship with food. And I said, okay, well, how do I treat it? Like, how do I show up for myself? What, what am I doing? What do I think about it? What do I think when I'm about to go binge? Like what, what emotions really trigger that? And then 
when I looked back, when I was in that year and a half of making no money in my business, um, before I grew it to multiple six figures, like Mm -hmm. I, I looked at that time of what I call financial bulimia. And I said, Oh my God, I'm believing the same thing. I'm doubting myself. I am getting emotionally triggered every time I looked at my bank account, just like I would in the past, every time I stepped on the scale. And so I had to actually look at, okay, what do I need to track? And what do I not need to track? What do I need to start looking at as far as like what I'm putting inputting in and what, what do I, what are my belief systems about this? Like what, and so I looked at what do I, what do I now, or what did I then back in 2016, what did I believe about my body? And I had such certainty about my body. I had run five marathons to that point. I'd, I, I'd been able to like master this vehicle and love her and just feel so confident and strong. And I said, okay, well, well, what did I do? Well, I had a process. That was when I said, I need to get certified in a process. I need to have a process that I can put my clients through that I am certified in that Mm -hmm. has been validated by others. Because if I don't have a process, I feel like I'm floundering. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I found a process that worked and it's worked so phenomenally with so many of my my clients. And that is the NLP certification. What's that stand for? That was on my list of questions. Yeah, and that stands for neuro-linguistic programming. It's basically about how the language that you use dictates the reality that you're creating. So for example, I listen to the context of what someone's saying when I'm in coaching them. Yes, I'm slightly interested in the content, but I'm about 20% interested in the content versus the context. So mm-hmm. if I'm listening to language like, oh, Kim, I, I have to go call this person back. Uh, I have to do this. What I'm hearing is that the the language of have to, have to is a language of effect, meaning they're not on a, on a, if we chunk up, they're not on their conscious level in charge of their life. They're no. pulled in this, these directions of the have tos of life yeah. versus them being like, I'm choosing to pull this now. I'm going to pull this train. And thus they're feeling the reason why they're feeling disempowered is they're having, they don't believe their language is literally telling me they don't believe they have agency. Sure. And so the simplest thing that I do in that situation, I say, do you notice you've said a lot of have tos? Like yeah. who's, who has, who, who makes you have to like, well, if I, if I didn't, I, you know, wouldn't have a job. Okay. But that would be your choice. So, I mean, I, I did this with a, a college class that I was teaching, uh, as, as a, as a guest lecturer. And I said, who here feels they have to go to college and everybody raised everybody. And, yeah. And, and I said, okay. And I said, and who's, who's forcing you? And they were like, oh, my mom. And I said, did, did she pull a gun to your head? Like, did she threaten your life? Are you like, oh, no. now? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, if I, if I didn't like, she'll kick me out. I'm like, okay. So what you're talking about is it's less about the have tos. It's less about effect. And it's more about the consequences. So you're, but when you can consciously say, I am choosing this consequence over this consequence, that puts you in a space of agency and power rather than in a place of disempowerment where you're being pulled at the effect of life. And I said, well, what, and just, you can literally feel the difference in your body when you change your language from, I have to, to, I choose to get back to that client today. Like I'm, I'm choosing right now that I'm going to get back to that client today. Like just the other day, my, my son got a little, um, I'm not sure whether it was a flu or, uh, a little post-concussive syndrome. Like we're getting him checked out by the doctor today, but the, um, but he started vomiting 
And so all the things I had like 50 million things as every business owner does on my list of things that I had to do done, like they weren't happening. And I, and, and I knew that because I chose it based on my priorities and my values. And one of the greatest myths that business owners live by is this perception that everything is urgent. Mm. It's when you have a list, when you know what your priorities are as a human being, Yeah, I know my priorities are my children, my family, my husband, my clients, my customers, and my team. And those, and when I looked at, okay, who really needs me to get things done? None of those were priorities compared to my child projectile vomiting on me, like none. And it's, it was a very, very easy choice. And even then I still use the language I'm choosing to focus on you because I want him to know that it's a conscious choice. I also say to my kids, like when they're like, can, you know, can we do this? And I say, it's not a priority right now. Like I want, I want them to get used to the language of prioritization because so many people get their priorities askew because they don't, they aren't aware of what their values are. And thus, because they're not aware of what their values are, they don't know how to make those conscious choice decisions. So when you're, so even to that college class that I was guest lecturing at, I said, okay, well, what is the value of going to college? And they're like, well, I then can get a better job. And I was like, great. So you're choosing to go to college to then get a better job rather than my mom forced me to, I have to be here. Like how, how disempowering is that compared to I'm choosing to do this for the future me who wants a better job, who wants a better lifestyle for, for whatever other future dreams I have. And focusing on that, keeping it in perspective. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So uh, sorry for that, the, the NLP question, but I think it was relevant. So you are running marathons. You are, you are curing yourself of bulimia. Then what? Um, like as, as, as far as like what's next? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that, that was the point in that, that was the point in your life that you were just clarifying on is when you. Yeah. Had- yeah. So I took that success strategy and applied it to my business. And I looked at like what had made me so successful in transforming myself, not only from bulimia, but from an exercise induced asthmatic who could suddenly run five marathons. Like oh, I couldn't sure. run a mile to save my life when I was 18. If sure. someone was chasing me, I would be dead, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I could somehow manage to run five marathons. And why? Because I tr- retrained my body. I retrained the physiological responses that I'm, I'm used to having. Um, I grew up in a home with an addict. So that experience of 30 years of addiction, um, I didn't live at home that whole time, but my father was an addict for, for pretty much all of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, that experience, especially in my early childhood was vi- everything was reactionary. Everything was, it was activating, uh, the sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight, flight, freeze nervous system, mm-hmm. which is why I approach my coaching from a neurological, a neurobiological perspective. It's not just like, let me say woo woo things and like, make you feel good. No, I'm like, sure. we're going to root this in actual physiology because that's actually what creates change. Right. So I started Pilates works, your parasympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. So that was my, my 
catalyst to retraining the actual physical form of my body to withstand stress and to create and generate more resilience because resilience isn't created by just removing all stresses that creates right. actually um, atrophy where you're, you're like, when we literally work out, we're engaging muscles in order to stress them to right. a point that then they tear and then they rebuild and grow. Right. So, but if you're too much stress, if you're constantly in stress, if you're constantly working out, just like, you know, every weight trainer would say like, you know, you have arms day and then you have leg day. You don't do arms day, arms day, arms day, arms day, arms day. Yeah. And your arms will literally feel like they want to fall off. Right. And so, the growth stops. And the growth stops because your muscles spasm. Well, so many people's nervous systems, if they've grown up in any form of addiction household or trauma or have had any sort of childhood trauma, their nervous systems are in spasm mode. And so their ability to re-regulate and handle stresses is not actually as, as deeply there. And so because of that, they, um, they need to learn how to deregulate their body to create that change. So that's why I work with my clients, not only in from, I, I do a top down approach of traditional, like coaching questions. We use, I'll do a lot of subconscious mind techniques like hypnosis, timeline therapy, but we also incorporate the physiology of the body, biodynamic breathwork and trauma release. I incorporate some Pilates into it as far as like engage muscle engagement and physiological alignment. In fact, one of my very good friends, she just did a podcast um, in her, on her podcast, the coaches plaza uh, on how she learned how to walk in heels. Cause we were in Vegas and I could tell that she was struggling. And I was like, girl, you're, you're just putting the weight in the wrong place. And I said, most women, when we walk in heels, we're trying to walk in a masculine way, which is from our chest, which is linear. But when oh. you're in heels, you're, they're actually requiring you to be in more in your pelvis. And so if you just sway your hips from side to side a little more, like think Marilyn Monroe, you'll actually alleviate the pressure off of your, your hamstrings and your knees and your pelvis. And if you just slightly tuck your pelvis a little bit so that you're not so like sticking your booty out, it actually will create alignment so that heels can be very comfortable. Buddha knew. I'll be dang. That's a little bonus gem for us. Little bonus <laughs> gem, but you can do the same thing in your business. You can do the absolute same thing in your business because it's typically not achievement. That's the problem. It's alignment. And so yes. when you look at, okay, where am I trying to force myself to do this? Like I was one of my clients when I, she came to me because she was doing all of these summits. She was doing all these summits for list building. And I said, okay. I said, do you attend a lot of summits? She's like, no, I don't have time. And I said, Interesting. But yet you're using that as your main form of lead generation, but you're using it with the belief that you don't have time. I said, how many people register, but don't attend? And she's like, I don't know that percentage because the person coaching her did not teach her to look at that percentage. And I said, okay. So when she finally saw her number, like she just was blown away that she was using a strategy that didn't even align with how she liked to be sold. Right. And because she liked to be sold in like a human to human, genuine conversation way, she found that she had a lot more success in just 
reaching out, starting to have conversations on the DMs, going to community events, doing podcasts and having and and generating those those very intimate one-on-one conversations instead of like, I'm going to do this summit because her also her misalignment was that she was focusing on list building, not on sales building. So yeah. she was focused on building her list, building her list, building her list, but she wasn't generating any, any money not from that. And it, with it. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes, it takes a lot to be able to, to look at what's that little misalignment that I just need to do to, to realign. I mean, and I ask myself the same question. Like, I'm like, where am I out of alignment with my business? And recently I was like, I, I asked my team to give me feedback and they gave me some feedback and I was like, oh my God, you're right. Like, but I needed that reflection from them because sure. sometimes you can't see it for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Coaching. I think that's what I love most about coaching is that you are the mirror Uh-oh. to us. Oh, still there? Oops, sorry. Uh, yep. Lost uh, you for a second. Okay. We're back. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I love about coaching is that you guys are the mirror to, to ourselves. So we can see what others, you know, what we, we can't see for ourselves and coaches often reflect that back to us so that we can be the best version of ourselves. Do you only coach on business? I coach on like a holistic success and leadership. So I focus on, um, the leader themselves and how they're leading their lives. So I, I work with VPs in entertainment. I work with directors. Um, I work with CEOs, with business founders, with startups. Okay. Very good. If someone wants to find you and inquire and learn more about you, what's the best source to visit? And I will also put this in the show notes. Awesome. If you love this conversation and you want more, you can just head on over to crownyourself.com and click the button that says work with me. And I would love to have a follow-up conversation with you. And if you're looking to do more podcasts, head on over to communicationqueens.com and see how you can use podcasting to start generating some business. Fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you giving me your time and energy. And I think a lot of my listeners are going to appreciate it as well. Um, I've got a lot of coaches that listen, a lot of people that are in that whole realm. So I appreciate you so much. Last question for you before we clock out. You say that you're a freedom lover. What is it about that aspect? Because that really is what ties this show together. You have this amazing life that you've built from the ground up but where, where does freedom come into it for you? Freedom first starts with freedom from the self-limiting beliefs that you hold against yourself. Like the universe is limitless. It's constantly expanding. And we are so much more powerful than we have been led to believe. And when we can remove our own limitations, that's how we start to have freedom. It's not, it's not the universe it's, that's trying to test you or limit you or the world or um, society, it's, it's your own limitations. And when we can, and not everybody likes that because that does require taking epic personal responsibility and ownership for your actions and the life that you create. But when you understand that you literally can create your life, but being a creator, it has a lot of power and that power comes with the responsibility. So like for me, how I apply this is in every scenario, whether I like it, don't like it, challenge, things are going right, things are going wrong. I say, how did I create this? Mm, and I, I always reflect it back to me. I look at what it was I believing about the situation? What was I believing about myself in order to create this? 
Um, what did I need to learn? Like, what did I unconscious? Well, how did I unconsciously create a scenario where I'm interacting with a human that I'm like really not vibing with? Not sure. And so that I need to learn. And like, I just recently went through this one lesson. Um, and I, I saw this one, uh, I saw this one, um, gentleman that I was in a business deal with. It was not, it was not, I, I was getting so emotionally triggered and like, oh, and <laughs> I, I suddenly realized I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. A, who hurt this human? And B, <sighs> I needed to set a boundary energetically that I am only available to work with self-aware, personally responsible, emotionally mature humans. Yeah. And that was a boundary that I didn't realize had gotten a little leaky sure. and I needed to clo <laughs> close that off, but I wouldn't have had that had I not had that interaction. So the, the beautiful thing is that that, which is that manifests externally happily, that's what we're conscious of that, which we, which manifests externally unhappily. That's what we're yeah. unconscious of. And when we can look at that and say, okay, how did I create this? And it's not saying, and because I am trained in trauma informed, and I do know that a lot of times, like, especially if you've experienced childhood trauma, if you've studied like the ACE, um, the ACE test for certification, uh, not certification, for the ACE test for, for childhood trauma, typically if you score, if there's like 10 categories as far as like what you could have experienced. And if you experience a four in the language of, I believe it's the CDC, they say that you are dangerously at risk for severe depression and anxiety as an adult. I had eight out of the 10 um, growing up. And so that looking at that, it's not that the things that happen to you are your fault, right. but you are responsible for your healing. Absolutely. You are responsible to take the lessons that you learn. Maybe it's a boundary lesson. Maybe it's a, uh, a lesson that, you know, the buck stops with me. Like I am not passing this down to my children. Maybe it's that def defining line in the sand where you say, this is, this is done. This generational pattern of trauma is done. Yeah. So it's not looking at your life as being a creator of your circumstances and asking the question of, of how did I create this? It is not to put you at fault or at self-blame. Right. Because that self-blame is not ownership. Right. Ownership is acceptance of what was and the ability to see and then ask the follow-up question to how is this the best thing that ever happened to me? Right. How is this the best thing? Like, And I ask that on a regular basis whenever there's a problem, because in that gem of a question, mm -hmm. there is a lesson of growth of possibility that you then can can expand from. Beautiful. I love that. And, and so empowering. Freedom is empowering. All of that, that information right there is allowing us to have the freedom and to empower ourselves. I love it so much. 
Kimberly, you are a complete and total badass. Uh, I'm going to get on your, your website, check you out some more, look at all the things. I encourage all my listeners to do the same. You've got an amazing website, great service that if everybody was just required by law, they didn't have a choice, no choice. <laughs> Bob made them take coaching with people like you. We would have a better world all around. So thank you for the service that you do to others, for others. And thank you for your energy today. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you and what you're building with your team and your culture. I'm very excited to see you thrive. Thank you so much. We are clocking out.